Good morning. I'm Cheryl. It's so good to be here. I just want to say what a blessing it is for our family to have left our home in Burundi to come to another home in Chilliwack. And now we're going home again. And, and again, it feels like we're leaving home. So we feel, really feel like it's a blessing to have uh, hearts in two places and, and homes in two places. Uh, the first picture up there is of our family. We have three girls. They're almost six, eight, and ten, Jillian, Lauren, and Natalie. And um, we, we live in Burundi. The kids attend a French-speaking school, and they're really enjoying our life there. We're there with another family, the Hebert family. They also have three daughters, and we make quite a scene wherever we, wherever we go, having these six little blonde girls together. Uh, everybody wants to touch their hair and stroke their skin a- and talk to them. Burundi is a beautiful, fertile country, uh, green grass, green banana trees, everything growing, and yet it's still one of the hungriest nations in the earth and one of the poorest countries in the world. Uh, the people there are lovely and hospitable and so happy that we're there. Driving there can be a bit of a challenge, though, and uh, quite often we stop to fix a flat tire. Here we're pulling another van uh, with about 30 passengers in it out of the mud, And so the kids just love the adventures that we have as we're on the road. Every time we stop, though, we are surrounded by a group of people, people that come just to say hello, to see what we have, look at their hair, touch their skin, say hello, whatever it is. Um, This time the kids were a little overwhelmed at the crowd that came out, so they jumped up on top of the vehicle and to perch up there and see what was going on. Take the next picture. Here we are. Again, the traffic's a little un- little unusual. These people are all hitching a ride up the mountain with their bikes. Sometimes there will be two or three bikes in a row hanging on to each other. They ride sad side saddles, so if they bail, they can jump off their bikes. And they all go up into the mountains to get their load. Sometimes it's bananas or charcoal. And then they load up their bike, and they push it many, many kilometers back to town, up and down the mountain roads where they sell it in town. I go to the drive through and I buy bananas or watermelon or papaya or avocado it's all beautifully fresh and it's always a bit of a um, uh, it's a little bit crazy because there's always people yelling and people putting things and me pushing them back and, and trying to choose what I want but it's always fun this is our local home outfitters if you see something you like you go out your window and then they come over and they take it all off their head and they show you what's for sale and then you barter and you and you choose what you want and that's how you buy stuff for your home there. This is me with the staff at the medical clinic where I help out a little bit. Um, they've become dear friends. They're so excited that we're there to help and we're working through some of the, the joys and the challenges of learning what's important to different cultures in those kinds of settings and it's been wonderful and it's and it's been a challenge too. Tyler has an office there. It looks a little different than his accounting office looks here, um, but he is really enjoying working with the Burundian people, training them to in accounting and management um, practices. He also gets to share many meals when he's up there with them. Uh, the white stuff on the plate is kind of like Play-Doh. It's flour and water mixed together and cooked. And then you break off a piece of that and dip it in either spinach or tomatoes or another kind of sauce, and that uh, fills your belly. The African women all wear beautiful, colorful fabric. Um, They use that as their clothing. They also use a piece of it for a blanket. This lady's waiting at the medical clinic uh, for her turn. And they all carry stuff on their heads everywhere they go. 
and they're toddlers when they're two and three years old they start by putting a bean bag on their head so they can practice learning to balance and as they grow they come you can carry tables or sacks of charcoal or pigs or whatever you need to take you can carry on your head they love to share and they're very hospitable and we were walking down a path and this lady picked flowers for Natalie so Natalie was able to say thank you in the local language and that made the lady's face light up to have someone speak her language to her this is one of the most fun things that I've got to do I've been working with as a team we've been working with a Burundian uh, organization and they are training up Sunday school teachers it's a country where there's been much uh, political unrest for many years and division within the church. So youth and children's ministry has been largely abandoned. And now we've got youth in the, in the country that are being used or manipulated for the different political parties. So uh, Harvest for Christ has been, their goal is to um, minister to the children and the youth and raise up a generation of people who are serving the Lord. So we've organized a VBS program for the Sunday school teachers and we brought in teachers from all these different churches and we had a VBS program for them. We had adults who had never held a crayon and never had a coloring page before. So this is a group of adults all at a table coloring a picture together. When it was time to go play the game, I said, okay, the bell rang, now we're gonna go play the game. Everybody put your crayons down. No. I said, well, actually, we all heard the bell, and we're all going to move as a group, and this is what we've been doing. Remember, we learned the Bible verse, and we sang the songs. Now we're coloring. Now we're going to go do this. No, we're not done. And they didn't want to give up their crayon. They had never held a crayon. It was just too precious. So I promised them that we could come back later and color, and I'd hold their page. But right now you have to obey the rules. And it's, <laughs> it's quite fun. It's, you know, to see the excitement on children, or, I mean, adults' faces, as they learn a Bible verse and have that pride and, and now able to tell that story and teach that Bible verse to someone else, it's really been a joy. It's such a privilege to be there and such an opportunity right now um, to be training up these young, these teachers who, like some of them have 400 kids in their Sunday school class and there's two teachers, you know, and yet they're so excited about what they're learning that they're inviting others to be a part of the Sunday school trainings. They're inviting other people to come teach the kids and these people are really seeing the opportunity there. So, you know, we see 40 teachers, and they all go and teach 400 kids, and they all share what they've been learning, so it's really been special. Lastly, there we are. We are healthy and well in Africa. You know, we've treated the lice, we've treated the worms. We're doing well, so thank you for your prayers. Um, we truly um, have a, a lovely community that we're living there. Um, we covet your prayers. Um, thank you so much. Well, good morning. Uh, it was, for me, is also a, a privilege and a joy to be up here preaching this morning. Um, and if you're interested in hearing more stories once we're back in Burundi, we have our prayer cards out at the, the welcome desk out there with our email address on it. So if you send us an email, uh, we'll get you added to the list and we can keep you updated on what all is going on. Um, we have a, a, a few goodbyes coming up as we prepare to head out on Tuesday. And those are going to be difficult, but we're definitely getting excited to head back to Burundi. And so when, when Pastor Matt asked me if I would be willing to preach Mission Sunday here right before going back, um, I thought, yeah, that makes, that makes pretty good sense, being uh, a missionary and all. At least that's my job title now. Um, 
Before I get into it, though, there are a lot of new faces here at Central since two years ago when we left. And I want to give a bit of the background on why we're in Burundi in the first place, what led us there. Um, so if you've heard the story before, please bear with me. But I, I like telling it because it's our story. And each time I tell it, it encourages me and reminds me of how God has been leading us over these last few years. So I'm actually going to start with a confession in front of all of you, is that I never wanted to be a missionary. I never planned to be a missionary. I had great plans for my own life, and this was not it. Um, but it happened, it all started on a day just like today with a guest missionary speaker. It was a Sunday at the beginning of summer. It had been a, a while since Cheryl and I had been in a, a church service together. Um, I used to work as an accountant, so during the spring I was always very busy, and usually Sunday mornings I was somewhat checked out, uh, mentally just because you know, you're tired and overwhelmed and Cheryl was spending lots of time helping in Sunday school so we weren't actually in services together very much and so this one Sunday it was end of May beginning of June we were just excited we showed up and we were excited to get to go into church service together listen to the pastor be filled refreshed and renewed and then when we got the bulletin it was guest missionary speaker and we just kind of went really like this isn't what we wanted today we wanted, you know, Pastor Ron Van Acker bringing it for us, and 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 we got Missionary Sunday. Um, but that day was the day of all days that God decided to speak to us right in our hearts. And and in the middle of the message, God said, "Go." He put it on our hearts that that day we needed to go into overseas ministry work. And even at the end of the message that day, it was Ricky Sanchez speaking. Um, he said at the end of, end of the message, he said, I feel like God's calling two families in the congregation today to go out into overseas ministry work. And so uh, that afternoon when we got home, Cheryl said to me, so, you know, what did you think about the service today? I was like, well, I think we just need to sell everything and go be missionaries. And that, that took her aback a little bit, but... I felt, I felt so sure of it in that moment that even that day or the next day, I went online and I looked at how much a flight, a flights for a family of five would cost to, to fly to Africa, to go to Burkina Faso, where, where another missionary couple, Dwayne and Michelle Warner, were working. Because I just felt God saying, go. But if five years ago, if you had told me that today I'd be a missionary in Africa, I would have laughed in your face. And it would have been very rude, but I probably would have done it anyways. But since that time, God has set us off on this amazing journey, and it's, it's just, the path to the mission field has been awesome. So this week, as I've been reading through the Word, reflecting on our last two years serving in Burundi, trying to think of what to say, there's been three major themes that keep coming up over and over again. So I'm going to unpack them uh, this morning, and then at the end, I'm going to kind of tie it all together, and I'm going to show a video of a little bit of what our ministry in Burundi actually looks like. So this morning on Mission Sunday, let's talk about life on mission. Although, I, I must say, I agree with Pastor Matt what he said earlier. If you listen to most of the sermons from the pulpit here at Central, I think every sermon title could be Living on Mission. I can't think of the last time that I've heard a sermon here that didn't say, how does this passage that we're going through point you to Jesus? And subsequently, how does what you've learned here today how are you going to take that out and point others to Jesus with that? Even working through the book of Exodus this summer, 
It's been, uh, you know, Exodus was, all those events occurred over 1,400 years before Jesus was even born. But every single message could be, how is this going to point you to Jesus and point others to Jesus? And so our pastor here, I would say, call us into living a mission every week. But to break it down for you in our context in Burundi, I'm going to go through a couple of verses here that are, are very, you know, very popular, very well known. So if you'll follow me through um, into Matthew 28. We get the Great Commission, which is basically the quintessential, quintessential passage on, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, what next? So after the resurrections happened, Jesus appears to his followers, and we're picking up in verse 18, we read, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And a follow-up verse to that is in Acts 1.8, we read on another occasion, Jesus says to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so what we learn from these two passages is not only what we are called to, but also where we are, are called to. I mean, what, as followers of Jesus, are we commissioned to do? We're commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all the commandments that Jesus gave to his disciples. And where should we do this? Jesus says, be my witness here in Jerusalem, there in Judea and Samaria, and everywhere to the ends of the earth. So what is the impact on that of that on us today? We need to be witnesses here in Chilliwack, there in the Fraser Valley in Canada, and everywhere to the ends of the earth, including Burundi. And the question actually has come up to us before. They, people say, why get on a plane with your family and travel 28 hours to the other side of the world when there is so much here that can actually be done for the kingdom? Why would you get up and go? And the answer to that is, is because that's where God is calling us. God has called us to Burundi for this season of our lives. And doing anything besides that right now, and would have back then when we committed to this, it would feel like being disobedient. And people have said to us, they said, oh, we could never have done what you did, picking up, selling things, moving across the world. And, and the short answer is, yeah, probably if, if you're not feeling called to it, then no, you're right. You can't do that. Or at least you probably shouldn't. But for us, that's what we were called to do. And anything else right now would be disobedient to what God has for us. So part of discerning what God is calling you to is also discerning where God is calling you to. If you were born and raised right here in Chilliwack and you feel like God's calling you to serve here in Chilliwack, that's perfect. That's what you need to be doing. But if you feel God calling you to go elsewhere, then go. And what you'll realize if you, if you take that step of faith is that something that you seemed like you could never do, all of a sudden just becomes another step on your journey of faith. One of our core values at MB Mission is, is dependency on Jesus. We have five core values. One of them is dependency on Jesus. And when you step out in faith and in obedience like that, you absolutely can't depend on yourself anymore. Like you have to trust wholly in Jesus leading in your life. So all that to say living on mission or, or living as a missionary does not necessarily mean moving to the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa. For us, it did. 
actually we don't live in the jungle at all. We live in a nice valley with lots of sunlight. But for most people, that's not what that means. But I am confident that God is calling each and every one of us to something. And he's calling us somewhere. And you may not know what that is yet. But I would encourage you to keep asking. Keep discerning with your small groups, with your family, with your friends. And most importantly, be attentive to the, the Holy Spirit working in your life. Is there anything right now that you feel like you have to be doing and anything other than that would be disobedient? Last week we heard from Central's new missionary family who God called to Chilliwack from Richmond. The Newfelds, following God, for, for the Newfelds, following God's call didn't lead them overseas. It left them, led them from Richmond into deepest, darkest Sardis. And that's awesome. They're right here in our own community working as missionaries. And, and God bless them. I talked to Ken a little bit after first service, and he gave me permission afterwards so that I could say that. But So have you asked God lately what he's calling you to? Have you asked him where he's calling you to? I would definitely recommend it. But I would also recommend being prepared for the answer because it might surprise you like it did for Cheryl and I. We have a, a really good friend in Burundi. Um, his name is Yves, and a few years ago he finished university with a law degree. And after he was done and had graduated, he's offered several well-paying jobs in, in fairly big organizations there. But he was also feeling pulled to work alongside the Bosco Pygmy people in Burundi. And when he came before the Lord with that, he was being pulled one direction by money and one direction by his heart. And he brought it to God, and just like the Newfelds, what he ended up feeling called to was ministry within his own context, within his own country. And his obedience has led him to have to be dependent on Jesus every day, because he settled on a salary that was about a quarter of what he was making elsewhere, and uh, it's been pretty di difficult on him and his family financially, but he is being obedient. That's what he is called to, and it's so encouraging to talk with him about that. So the next thing we learn in the Great Commission after go is that we are commanded to make disciples, which sounds pretty easy. Um, you know, here we are, we land on the mission field, let's just go make disciples. But, I mean, how do you, how do, you do that? I mean, what do missionaries actually do? That was a question I, I was asking myself before I left for Burundi, because even after all the training, it's kind of like, well, what, what, am I, what are we going to do when we arrive there? And part of me was, you know, pretty sure that, accountant here, but now I'm leaving that behind, and I'm going to land on the, the runway in Burundi, and I'm going to climb off the airplane, and a little halo is going to appear above my head. I'm going to be instantly fluent in the local language. I'm going to be out on the streets evangelizing. I'm going to be ministering to people. I'm going to be um, you know, having the whole country basically converted, discipled, and making new disciples within a couple years. Then we come home. We're done. Hey, good job, us. But... It turned out that when I got off the plane in Burundi, I was still just Tyler. I was still just a guy called into something new without really knowing what it was. I didn't know what I was getting into. There's not some little switch that you can flip to all of a sudden turn into missionary mode. I didn't, I didn't immediately learn Kirundi, the local language. Uh, even my French is you know, not, not super, but it's okay. It's passable, but... What I've learned is that you go as you are. So that's not to say that God can't do amazing things and make immediate changes in you. 
But what I'm finding is that after we've arrived there, there is just as much opportunity for learning and growth as before we left. So what do I do then? You know, I land on the ground in Burundi. Uh, I'm plugged in. I'm, I'm getting settled. But, you know, how do you make disciples and plant churches? How do I do this if I can't do all the things I think it takes to, to, to plant a church or to make disciples? And what I've learned over our first couple of years there is that fortunately, it's not about me. It's not about I. It's about us. It's about we. It's about the church. It's about the body of Christ. We are called to do this together as the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, if you have your Bible, please turn with me there. I'm going to spend most of the rest of the morning there. Paul is writing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And what are these manifestations of the Spirit? If we look at some of the passages on spiritual gifts throughout the New Testament, we can see what's included. Ephesians 4, we read, um, gifts are apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. In Romans 12, we can add the gifts of service to one another, encouraging one another, financial giving and generosity, leadership, and showing mercy. And from 1 Corinthians 12, we can add wisdom, knowledge, faith, the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, discernment between spirits, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, helping, hospitality, and administration. So we have all these different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives out to us. And I've not yet come across a single person who A, had all of them, or B, didn't have any. And I don't think we're intended to. I think that's the whole point. Because if we pick up 1 Corinthians 12 at verse, uh, at verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If, if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If we skip down to verse 27, says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So the gifted evangelist out there, you know, out on the street, proclaiming God's word, leading people to repentance and conversion is great, but there's no disciple making if there aren't pastors and teachers to follow up with those people. The apostolic leaders with a huge vision for the church can come up with amazing plans and ideas. But I think without the administrators behind them paying attention to the details and the individual tasks, it may remain that, just a vision or an idea. If we don't have the hospitable people working out in the foyer, will people who wander in on Sunday mornings decide to come in and check us out, or will they feel snubbed and turn and walk away? Can the work of the church, this one and all of them, continue at all if people are not giving generously to serve the kingdom? I mean, the short answer is yes, of course, God can do anything. But the longer answer is that the reason this passage is written is that God has given the members of his body, which is us, which is the church, these various gifts to allow it to function. 
and to operate together. And together, we can make disciples, not on our own necessarily. So when Cheryl and I signed up to go to Burundi, I was pretty sure I was leaving the world of finance, accounting, and administration behind me. I mean, my halo was going to appear, evangelism, that was all going to be it. But what I found was that my gifts in finance administration are exactly what the people of Burundi needed right now. One thing that I've observed is that, you know, many people who feel this deep calling to go into mission are the, the apostolic leaders, the evangelists with the big ideas, the, the big projects, the big revivals, how to impact the most people, and that's awesome. I love working with these people. But the mission field also needs people feeling like we can help. I think I may be one of the very few cases of an accountant going into the mission field at least in Burundi, and the reason I think that is because pretty well all the other people there ask me if I can come and help them. We've met lots of people there with huge vision for ministry, which is amazing, but they also have a huge fear of Excel spreadsheets. And that's where I, that's where I come in. So what have I found myself doing? I'm using my gifts in finance, administration, to enable those with different gifts to use them to the best of their ability and not get bogged down in tasks that they don't like. So what can we do, Central, to make sure that everyone here is using their gifts to be fully utilized for the work of the kingdom? In our, in our business, we used to use a metaphor um, for our staff, which is first get the right people on the bus, then put them in the right seats, which is, in other words, you know, if you've got the right people, you can make it work by figuring out where to plug everyone in. And right now, I'd say that you are the right people. Maybe you're on this proverbial bus, or, or maybe you're still thinking of making a commitment to Jesus. But let's figure out what your gifts are, where you can be plugged in to make the, the most impact, and then get you into the right seats. And this is even true within our own team in Burundi. Um, I mean, I've mentioned my background. Cheryl was a nurse before we left, and our teammate Doug, he was a pastor in his church before coming to Burundi, and his wife was a teacher. And what we're finding is that we can help with many of the opportunities we're given to serve because we each bring something different to the table. Because we arrived willing to serve where we can best be used. Doug has had many opportunities for pastoral training and leadership development. Cheryl's had opportunities to educate and work in a medical clinic. Um, Deanna has been able to work with, with a Burundian woman whose passion is children's ministry. And together... They're developing VBS programs and Sunday school programs and having an impact on the next generation of kids. We didn't, we didn't go out there to be super missionaries. What we found is that we went with what we had and we asked God, how can you best use us in this ministry? And that kind of leads me into to my favorite part here. If we go back into Jesus' words in the Great Commission, says, go make disciples, baptizing and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. So Jesus said many, many things during his time on earth, and we have four gospel writers put down a lot of it. But in Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment, or the greatest commandment, he responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says to teach the new disciples being made in all the nations to observe all that he commanded. And he says the greatest commandment is love. Love the Lord. Love those around you. 
I would venture a guess that most people in here are familiar with the love passage from 1 Corinthians 13. Probably just heard it at weddings or, or somewhere, but it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But if we look at what immediately precedes that passage on love in 1 Corinthians, if we look at the context of what led Paul to write that by the Spirit, it's right after he wrote the passage I read earlier about the spiritual gifts. And if we pick up at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 and the beginning of 13, as we approach that, we read, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. In other words, if I am using the gifts that God has given me but do not love those around me or those who I am serving, I gain nothing. If I'm using the gifts God has given me out of obligation or because I feel like I ought to be and not out of love, then I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And Cheryl and I really feel blessed that God has given us love for the people of Burundi. Because if you'd asked me, if you'd asked me four years ago if I loved the people of Burundi, I would have said, I don't even know where that is. Many of you probably don't. I'm not sure. If you'd asked me two years ago, after we landed on the ground, do you love the people of Burundi? I would have said, not yet. It's difficult to love sometimes. You know, when you go to town and people are clearly not following the generally accepted rules of the road by North American standards, it's difficult to be patient and kind, right? When the same police officer pulls me over 25 times in one month looking for a bribe, it's difficult to feel love for that guy. But in those situations, and they happen often, you can either choose to be annoyed, you can choose to be frustrated, or you can ask God to, you can ask God for help. And now, by doing that, he's given us love for the people of Burundi. He's given us love for the people he's called us to serve. Not necessarily in advance, but the ones that we're serving now. And he's given us that rather than the feelings of frustration because, uh, you know, things aren't the same there here in Canada. So earlier this spring, when a friend of ours was arrested, and those situations rarely end well, our hearts broke because we've come to love this guy as a brother. But this last week, when I received an email from our director at Harvest that they had just concluded their two-week national outreach campaign, I was ecstatic. He says, our partners, or I'm saying, our partners have sent 700 young Burundians out as missionaries into their own country to serve in hospitals and medical clinics for two weeks. And Vanasin writes, over 4,600 people heard the gospel message, and 1,500 of them made a commitment to the Lord. That's amazing, right? It's amazing that I'm going to get to go back to Burundi and meet the people who have made this commitment. 
because years ago, I probably wouldn't have cared if you told me a, a big revival or a big outreach happened in some other country because it didn't, it wasn't on my heart. But this is on my heart, and this is awesome. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 12, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When our friend is arrested, we suffer together. When we hear the amazing story of 1,500 people making a commitment to the Lord, we rejoice together. So, a few questions that I would leave you with today. First, what are you called to? Where are you called to? Next, what has God equipped you with to be part of the body of Christ? And last, are you loving those that you're serving and those that you're serving with? And are you loving those that you work with and those that you work for? Without love, it's not happening. So at the beginning, I referenced this video that we're going to put up on the screen now. And if you want to talk about gifts, um, this is great. It was made by our teammate, Deanna. Um, it tells a story of a friend of ours, um, a Box Bomb member. His name is Ndigi Jumana, John Marie. And it's how him and his community were able to come to faith. So the, the background on this that's not mentioned is that 10 years ago, during a similar outreach campaign, um, some members of Harvest Initiative, our partners, were evangelizing the community. And the community leaders came to the evangelist and, and said to them, you know, your message is great, but we're still hungry. We still have no health care. Our kids still can't go to school. We still live in precarious conditions. Until our practical needs are met, how can we accept this message that God loves us? So you know what these guys from Harvest did? They got together and they said, if these people want to see God's love, let's share it. 